0: Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the legislative session is at the midway point. We'll hear from MPB's at Issues team on
1: how they think it's going so far. One of the flies in the ointment is this revolving fight over education funding. And so a a more cynical perspective on why it's politically expedient to do something is to come up with a formula that allows you to say we're fully funding education.
2: I think more what the Republicans are thinking is we need to have a more honest discussion of education funding because education funding is at all-time highs under Republican leadership.
0: And after everyday tech, an interview with former Secretary of the Navy and former Mississippi Governor Ray Mabus. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. the midway point of this year's legislative session, political observers are taking stock of what has already been accomplished. They're also looking ahead at what seems likely to happen. In a conversation from MPB's legislative affairs TV program at issue, host Wilson Stribling sat down with Democrat Brandon Jones and Republican Lucian Smith. Jones is a former state legislator and an attorney at the Barrier Jones Law Firm. Smith is an attorney at Vouch and Bingham and its former chief. Chief of staff for Governor Phil Bryant. In our conversation, the two actually start by agreeing on one topic, the likelihood of budget cuts.
1: It's very hard to deny where we are as an economy at this moment. Decent chance we'll see another cut probably before I finish this sentence. I think it's almost inevitable and we could uh, potentially see a fourth one, you know fairly quickly.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. I think there's a very high likelihood of a a cut coming um, fairly soon. Um, You know, one thing to keep in mind, we're still collecting more money in fiscal year 17, the current fiscal year, than we collected in 16. We're just not collecting as much money as we thought we would. And so we don't have enough money to pay the actual appropriations that we're were put out. We've heard
3: this a lot this this fiscal year that revenues are down. What's the long-term solution here?
2: One is this 98% rule. I mean, I think the 98% rule is very important. And, and what the statute requires is that all of the appropriations bills, when you total them up, only add up to 98% of the revenue estimate that the state's come up with. We're growing. I mean, we're collecting more money, at, like I said, more money this year than we did before. The problem is because we appropriated 100% rather than 98% of the estimate. Every dollar below what you estimated requires some sort of a cut. But if you had uh, the 98% rule in place, you've got a larger cushion, so revenue has to be 2% off before you've got to change any of the appropriations. That, that is uh, an important safety mechanism, and I think it's smart that the legislature is going back to the 98% rule.
1: You could feel, Lucian, Chairman Reed and Chairman Clark really diving in deep on the mechanics of how you move these things around because I think that's one of the ways you protect yourself from having to deal with the larger realities of the state economy. I mean, the picture painted by the economist in the treasurer's office, which is very bleak, the gross domestic product is down as compared to 2008 numbers. Um, our state tax collection is down 1.2%. State income tax is down a tenth of a percent. Um, on top of that, our indebtedness has grown, I think 41% over the last 10 years. Those are striking numbers. And then we heard on top of that, the economists say that we looks like we're losing population. So it kind of reminds me of my dad. He used to we used to watch football together, and he'd say, "Well, that quarterback can't throw real well, but at least he's uh, not too strong and, and, and uh, can't run too fast either." I thought, "Well, <laughs> you know, we're in a rough
2: spot." You know, Mississippi's always been slower to go into recessions and slower to come out of them. It's just the nature of uh, of our economy here. But I think we'll. Rebound. Keep in mind, the Republicans just got control of government five years ago, so we've, you know, we've got a hundred years of Democratic control. We've got to fix so we can have faster growth.
1: Well, it's keeping the uh, tradition that Austin started of saying, "Give us, just trust us, give us more time. It's all going to be fine. Give it, give it a little." A bit
4: longer.
3: <laughs> a few more years and we'll see what happens. Let's move on to something that's been on, a topic that's been on our agenda every week, it seems, since the the, the session began. And that's education and the Mississippi Adequate Education Program, EdBuild. Uh, does it look likely in your eyes, Lucian, that we will have a special session to take up an EdBuild proposal this year?
2: I, I think it's very possible. You know, the, bill that, uh, the bills that would have allowed a vote on the EdBuild proposals died. So you'd have to have a special session in order to bring them back up unless you could get two-thirds agreement on both sides, which is just never going to happen. But I think politically you almost have to have a vote on some actual proposals because there are things in the Ed EdBuild proposal that I don't I – don't t- I mean, I haven't spoken with them, but I don't know that the lieutenant governor or the speaker or the Republican leadership generally would be for, you know, the potential increases in property taxes. And so I think if you don't have a vote on an actual proposal – then when we have statewide elections in 19, the Democrats can pull anything out of the EdBuild proposal that people aren't happy with and say this is what the Republican leadership tried to do to you. So I I think we're going to see a bill either in a special session or certainly next year so that there's an actual Republican position on changes to the MAP formula.
1: Well, it's a good point, Lucian. I think you're right. I mean, going into this session, there were supposed to be two really big ticket items. One of them was retooling MAEP. The other one was infrastructure. We have learned over the last several weeks that infrastructure is off the table so that you're left with MAEP. And so you kind of have to have some big legislative agenda hit. It's the new administration's first one. Further serving the uh, agenda. And so without that, I think you're right. It'd be kind of strange. But in reflecting on exactly what's going on, it's, it's become more and more clear to me that at least part of what's in play here, for folks at home who are watching this, is that you want to retool the MAEP formula so that you can declare victory, so that you can declare that education is fully funding, even if funding is no different than it is today or no different than it was last year. Because if I'm a Republican, I'm having good success at winning elections, but one of the flies in the ointment is this revolving fight over education funding. And so a more cynical perspective on why it's politically expedient to do something is to come up with a formula that allows you to say we're fully funding education, even if the overall numbers don't change that much. There's a lot riding on this. And, of course, that's a a cynic's view of what what is at least a part in play.
2: I think more what the Republicans are thinking is we need to have a more honest discussion of education funding because education funding is at all-time highs under Republican leadership. There have been significant increases over the course of the last five years. We're spending more now with a Republican speaker on education than we did when we had a Democratic speaker. But a lot of that money isn't going through the MAP formula. You know, the governor championed and the House and the Senate uh, passed uh, the third grade reading gate several years ago. And so there's been specialized funding to provide for coaches, to provide for the uh, interventionists, but it's not going through the MAP formula. And so even though education has been increased, the formula is not being fully funded. And so this would be a way... Like Chairman Reed said, to get more money through the formula directly into into the classroom. I mean, I, I think it's a it's a good, much-needed reform uh, that that I'm optimistic that they'll be able to get through.
3: Are there some political smoke and mirrors, as as Brandon described, at work here too?
2: No, I don't think so. I mean, I, like I said, education funding keeps going up. I think if there's if there's smoke and mirrors, it's somewhat on the on the other side. I mean, the the problem with the MAP formula is that it it, it the way it works will require additional funding every year. It's been fully funded twice, and that's under both Republican and Democratic leadership, because at the end of the day, all they can do is look at what the pie is and the total state budget and decide how much of it goes towards education. But it, it has been set up in a way that it's a perfect cudgel for Democrats to use every single year against Republicans, because they're always going to be able to say, look, you didn't fully fund education. Well, really, you didn't fully fund the formula, the number that it happened to spit out. So having some reform to make that a little more transparent, to have it focus on classroom education, that'd be a great thing.
1: You know, a big problem, I guess, the elephant in the room with this conversation as it stands right now is, though, we really just have no idea what this program is going to look like. And that's a a huge problem for Republicans. I mean, because we can talk about all of these things in the abstract, as, as we've done on this program for weeks. But until you have something that people can feel and touch and talk about and debate, you're really behind. And we are, you know, as each day ticks away, we're getting closer to the end of that session. And you have to ask yourself how much time do you need to fully vet a new K through 12 education program we're getting very close to that moment when i think you're rushing it which is something i know they wanted to avoid
2: no and that's a that's a very valid point i mean and it's conceivable to your earlier question that you end up pushing the actual vote on this off to the next session so you've got a full year to vet what yeah. the final proposal is because i think it's very easy for there to be fear and fear-mongering about what's in the bill when there's not actually a bill for anyone to read and confirm what is or isn't there. A bill that failed would have moved the Department of Mental Health under more of
3: the governor's control. It would have allowed the governor to appoint a director to the Department of Mental Health instead of a board serving that purpose. Was that not a significant defeat for the lieutenant governor?
2: It was certainly a surprise over there because you had Republicans who generally vote with him who didn't vote with him. Um, I'll say this. I, I don't think the... The the lieutenant governor is not likely to just let that pass. I suspect that that'll be both bad for the people who failed to vote with leadership, but I I would expect he's going to find another way, whether it's through asking the governor to put it in a special session call, finding another code section that's open. I doubt that that's the last vote we'll see this session on whether or not we ought to make mental health an executive agency. If there was a way to
1: move those senators, uh, county board of supervisors under the lieutenant governor's office with a piece of legislation, (laughs) we might see it come. I mean, Lucian is exactly right. This is not a lieutenant governor who loses bills. He has been an extremely effective worker of the legislative process. And whenever he's really wanted something, he has tended to get it. So I think you're right. We'll we'll probably see another round of this. But with respect to the legislation itself, you know, we talked about it last week. We've seen sort of a return to consolidation, a, a real interest in trying to bring programs under the governor's office, an interest in trying to change how we can hire and fire state employees. I'm glad that Republicans and Democrats last week kind of said that this was a step too far.
0: Brandon Jones is a former state legislator and an attorney at the Beria Jones Law Firm. Lucian Smith is an attorney at Bouch and Bingham and is former chief of staff for Governor Phil Bryant. They spoke with Wilson Stribling of MPB's At Issue, which you can watch every Friday night at 730 on MPB TV. Coming up, an interview with former Secretary of the Navy and former Mississippi Governor Ray Mabus. That's after everyday tech. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
5: Mansoor Aldefi wants a family and a future in a Muslim country. The U.S. sent the former Guantanamo Bay inmate to Serbia instead.
4: And when they brought him to Serbia, they made my life worse. They, they
6: totally killed my dreams.
5: I'm Ari Shapiro, once a terrorism suspect, now out of Gitmo, this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News.
2: Today at 4 on NVB Think Radio.
7: This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Sharita Brent, in studio with Wilts Couture, information technology expert for Newcore Steel Jackson and Flowood, and Jeremy Thompson, owner of Computer Doctors and Phone Surgeons in Hattiesburg. Good morning, Jeremy and Wiltz.
5: Good morning. Good morning.
7: So we're going to try to bring some clarity to a tech issue that can be confusing, but we'll talk a little bit about net neutrality. Give us a definition for what net neutrality is.
5: Net neutrality, the idea of the Internet being neutral, meaning that no one company, product, provider has an advantage over another. Um, the idea that, you know, for example, that uh, a mom-and-pop store down the street would have the same access to being able to reach out to customers as would, say, a Walmart or a Home Depot. Keeping that neutral has been a an important uh, talking point amongst a lot of folks because the idea is – Keeping fresh products out there. I mean, you know, making sure that just because you're bigger, just because you have more money, doesn't give you a bigger voice. The idea that the small person has the same voice as the big conglomerate.
8: You might also think of it like a lane on a traffic highway or an interstate. Everybody gets on the interstate. You know, it's first come, first serve. You weave in throughout traffic. That's not really the idea. But imagine everybody's traveling in a straight line. Well, then you've got an emergency vehicle that comes along, and all of a sudden they're prioritized. Well, if there, if the internet wasn't neutral, then the emergency vehicle would be able to get by, but there are no Internet emergencies, so there's not really a necessity for that. So
7: who's trying to make the internet not neutral?
8: Big companies. Big internet companies.
5: Yeah. We we want you to pay more to make sure that our content, our advertisements, our our buddies in business um, have a louder voice than the other people.
8: So their claim is that the demand for data is rising as we stream more content and all that. Oh, well, they've got they've got to have the infrastructure to handle it. So they're saying if they could prioritize the traffic, then, you know, you pay for the Netflix package, just like you pay for HBO or Cinemax and you get that prioritized traffic. It, It makes it better for you and faster and it makes it easier on them because they can afford to do it.
5: Yeah, but then what you end up having is, you know, the competitors to, say, a Netflix, and not just to pick on them, but it's it's something I think we're all familiar with, the competitors to Netflix at that particular time then become disadvantaged because maybe they don't have as deep of pockets, but they could be providing as good of or even better Of a service, but because they can't pay for that big subscription price, their traffic is now moved to second tier. They're put to the off roads. They're you know they're taken off the interstate and put on the little two lane highway.
8: So you go to your computer and you type in a website, and it goes right to it. Boom, you're there. Well, if that website was like Minor Wilts's website and there was no net neutrality, then it would sit there and it would load and it would load and it would load and then eventually it would come up. But we would be on slower traffic tiers because we're just little fish. So any startups, any smaller companies – their little fish too, they get that same prioritization. They get the bottom of the rung like everybody mm-hmm. else.
7: So up until now, net neutrality has been fine. It is, is it just now becoming an issue?
8: Well, it's kind of an agreement amongst people that this is the way that we're going to treat the internet. But now, due to all this heavy data usage, they're using that as a means of justifying what they're asking for.
7: What would be some immediate effects if net neutrality would would go away? Uh, In what ways would people obviously recognize it?
8: Well, they're not going to care until they go to load a website that doesn't get prioritized, and then all of a sudden it's going to be a big deal, and everybody's going to go, wow, we really should have listened. This is a big problem.
5: But hey, but if you want better performance for all your websites, just pay us a little bit more money. Yes, yeah, buy the from, big package. Buy the bigger package. Give us some more money, and we'll give you a little bit more access to the sites you want to see. And I don't think any of us really want to see that.
8: And this is this is something that uh, you can call the FCC about. You can you can voice your opinion on it. It's very important that you do because a uh, a non-neutral internet is not going to be a place that people are going to want to be.
7: So what's the status right now? Have these things gone to court? Are people in in net neutrality battles?
8: Uh, There are battles. It's mostly with the FCC uh, to get a chairman on board that wants to continue to keep the Internet neutral. And um, so far, so good. But things are changing and they've got a new chairman in there now, and he is very much against net neutrality.
7: All right. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about net neutrality on Everyday Tech, This show this coming Wednesday morning at 10. We'll also talk about Internet browsers. You can send us an email before or during the show to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Wilkes Couture and Jeremy Thompson, I'm Sherita Brent. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. Thanks for listening.
0: Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. Join me each Tuesday for Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. Each week we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental obstacles to family interaction, from depression to handling life's disruptions, discovering things that make you happy, or how to get around things keeping you from your happiness. I want to hear what's going on in your life. Relatively Speaking, part of the Daily Southern Remedy series, this morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Former Mississippi Governor Ray Mabus has just concluded his tenure as U.S. Secretary of the Navy, a position he held for eight years under former President Barack Obama. Now Mabus is consulting for Google and teaching at Harvard Law School. The North Mississippi native was back in his home state, speaking at Millsaps College in Jackson. That's where he sat down with MPB's Desiree Fraser and talked about his tenure as Navy secretary, the current political climate, and what made him run for office in the first place.
4: It's one of those things, if I'd have known then what I know now, I probably wouldn't have run because I couldn't win. But, uh, well, number one, it was a great honor that the people of the state who you lived with decided that uh, you could you could be governor and that the vision that you um, set out was one that they could buy into. And secondly, was just the feeling of hope and the feeling of endless possibilities for this state. And we got a lot of stuff done. I mean, in education, in county government, in jobs, environmental protection, in just so many things. But the fact that people entrusted me with that will always be just an amazing feeling to me and an amazing, um, an amazing honor.
6: Well, what are you doing right now? What are you, what are you doing since you've retired? What are your plans?
4: I like what's coming next. I like building things more and I like sustaining things. So, um, I'm staying exceptionally busy since since I left. (laughs) And I was a political appointee, so I don't get to retire. I just leave.
6: Speaking of being a political appointee, you're a Democrat. What are your feelings about the Trump administration so far and how it's moving along?
4: I want some answers. I want some answers on Russian intelligence. I want to know um, how deeply Russia was involved in our election. I think the American people deserve that. Um, this has been a very chaotic start to an administration. It's been um, sort of a – the the contrast between it and the Obama administration, where you had eight years with no scandal, where you had eight years of economic growth, where you where you had eight years of someone who was a good husband, a good father, a good role model – in the White House, um, and you, contr- you contrast that. But the main thing right now is what was Russia up to? We know they don't have our best interest at heart. I think there needs to be a much fuller accounting, much deeper investigation on what the Russian role played, because if we can't depend on our elections, if they are in question, that's the very bedrock of who we are.
6: In terms of issues of the day right now, what is important in your mind that any presidential administration should be focusing on?
4: Well, you've got enough to say grace over in the world. You've got uh, North Korea. You've got Russia. You've got uh, resurgent China. Um, you've got uh, an aggressive Iran. You've got uh, Boko Haram and ISIS. You've got lone wolf attacks. But I think that any American president, the thing that they've got to be concerned about is protecting what is America, not building walls, but who we are as Americans, the idea of America, the notion that we are a beacon of freedom, that we are a a nation of hope that we are a nation always trying to improve, that we're always trying to move to our better selves. And that's what uh, any president ought to do.
6: Now, I do want to ask you this. You did talk about a report that you did for the Gulf Coast in terms of restoration. You want Mississippi to be out in front of that. How do you envision that, and what do you see in terms of alternative uh, energy?
4: The report that I, I wrote in 2010 that Congress adopted as law pretty much intact uh, as a restore act means that literally billions of dollars going to be coming into the five uh, Gulf Coast states. Mississippi is going to get a good bit of money. And what what I think is important is that they take a strategic look. How do we use this money in a way that will help the state the most in the long run, not just little projects here, little projects there, somebody's pet idea or something like that. Alternative energy ought to be one of those things. We ought to lead the country in alternative energy here. It will provide a new stream of income to a lot of people in Mississippi, particularly our farmers. Um, if if we do, it will provide a whole new economy for this, for this state. And this country, regardless of ups and downs, is moving toward sustainable energy. We're moving away from, away from oil. We're moving away from the non-sustainable energy. And as the oil minister from Saudi Arabia, the old one, said one time, you know, the Stone Age didn't end because we ran out of stones. It, it ended because we invented something better. We're in the process of inventing something better in Mississippi, and the coast ought to be in the forefront of that.
0: Former Mississippi Governor Ray Mabus... Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9, it's Money Talks at 10 in legal terms. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show today, you can find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app in any mobile store. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition Only on MPB Think Radio.
2: Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, now offering an online master's degree in teaching. A state license can be earned after the first summer semester with an opportunity to teach grades 7 through 12. The application deadline is March 1st. More information at education.olemiss.edu.